Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Obituary early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. You're listening to a Morbid Network podcast. If you remember how powerful it felt to snap a hot pink razor flip phone shut after getting off the phone, you're a millennial. And if you're a millennial, it's time to add Clarins Multi-Active Cream to your daily routine. Rooted in nature and innovated with science, Clarins has a long legacy of creating industry-first, plant-forward products. Using a skin charger complex made of 2% niacinamide and C. holly bioextract, Clarins Multi-Active Cream has been clinically proven to target the first visible signs of aging by smoothing lines and wrinkles, refining pores, evening tone and texture, and strengthening the skin's moisture barrier. While multi-active creams can't bring back the golden age of boy bands, it can distress your skin. Clarins Multi-Active Cream is available online now. Go to clarins.com slash truecrime and get multi-active day and night cream for 10% off. A free welcome gift plus free shipping on your first order. That's C-L-A-R-I-N-S dot com slash truecrime with promo code truecrime. Clarins.com slash truecrime with promo code truecrime. This episode is brought to you in part by June's Journey. Picture it. The glamour of the roaring 20s, wrapped in a mystery that only you can solve. Dive into June Parker's captivating quest to uncover scandalous family secrets. With your keen eye for detail, find hidden clues and solve mind-boggling puzzles. It's all about observation, intrigue, and drama. But beware, each clue leads deeper into a thrilling storyline filled with danger and romance. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Your adventure awaits. On this show, we cover some sensitive topics. Though the obituaries may be outlandish, the people are real. Names have been changed or omitted in order to respect both the deceased and the survived by. While death is no laughing matter, some petty last words can provide some pretty entertaining comic relief. Welcome to Obituary. Obituary. I'm Spencer Henry. And I'm Madison Reyes. And we are just a few days out from starting our tour. Can you believe it's already here? It's already here. We've been talking about it for a while now. Sure, you guys are sick of hearing about it, (laughs) but we also know a lot of you are just as excited as we are. Yes. If you haven't gotten your tickets yet, we still have a lot of shows coming up. You can go to obituarypodcast.com, secure your tickets, Mm -hmm. and we'll see you on the roads, babe. Oh my god, we cannot... Wait, I was actually talking about it today with one of my best friends and she's going to be in Texas and she's going to get a hotel and she's going to make a whole date night out of it. I love that because <laughs> I love this friend of yours. Yes. Oh, and her family owns a mortuary. I've talked about it before. Yes. And they're selling it. Oh, but, should well, we, we buy it? 
I know. We were talking. She's like, hey, that is a business that will never go out of business. Oh, I hope so. They're backed up, honey. (laughs) I could see us going into the mortuary business. We don't know. We might live our little my girl moment one day. Yes. Somebody tagged us on Twitter, though. They had, like, tagged one of their friends. They're like, we just randomly booked an Airbnb to go to the live show. Like, we're so excited. And I'm just like, it makes me so excited. I know. I'm just so excited to see everyone. I know. It's so fun. I love that we get to provide an experience for people. (laughs) Call it an experience. Some might call it. Chaos. Chaos. We're giving you something, though. All we're saying, we're not making any promises, okay? We're just saying we will physically be in the same building as you as to what we're doing. You want to call it a show? Call it a show. Call it a show. Call it whatever you want. We're not recording it, so. (laughs) Yeah, this is going to be. It's our story against yours, okay? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I know. We were, like, debating for a long time. We're like, do we want to record some of these live shows? Because we did it with Irvine, which we loved. Mm -hmm. I think eventually in the future I could see us recording some live live shows but this particular one we just want to bring the full-on chaos we don't want to worry <laughs> about being no. recorded. that being said this is the last episode i think that comes out before we leave for the tour there will be our regular upload schedule coming mm-hmm. out Nothing so don't worry change. yeah we'll have some episodes sitting on the back burner they're just waiting for you now yes i kind of want to get right into things okay let's do okay, it yeah because i'm fired up about this a while back i covered maternal somatic support after brain death which is when And essentially, like, there was all these famous court cases happening because people were arguing that they should keep these mothers alive even after they're dead to bring a baby to full term. Yes, I remember this. And there was, like, that one woman who was barely, she was, like, two months pregnant and they wanted to keep her alive on ventilators and machines for seven months, even though the husband was like, please, Please don't don't do this. I remember that episode you did. Wow. It's been trending this week. Really? After a professor from the UK brought up the idea of using women's bodies who had experienced brain death to act as surrogates. What? As if we already are losing control Uh of everything. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. I mean, this was just, well, I'll read you this. It's from Cosmopolitan Online. It says, a professor sparks backlash after suggesting, quote unquote, brain dead women could have their bodies used to carry babies. She has proposed a scheme similar to organ donation. An idea put forward by a professor to help those struggling with fertility issues has been met with major backlash. Professor Anna Smajdor suggested that brain dead women could have their bodies used to house surrogate pregnancy for those unable or unwilling to carry a baby of their own. Let me tell you, let me pause right here. This is some black mirror shit. Oh my God, it is. I could picture like a bunch of bodies. Uh Uh-huh. Just like lined up in a hospital. Yes. Right? (gasps) Some objecting raised concerns that should the hypothetical proposal ever be put in place in the real world, that women could have their bodies used without consent. However, this is not the case put forward by the professor in her study, which was published in the medical journal Theoretical Medicine and Bioethics. Due to some viral tweets on the matter, some of which appear to be ill-informed due to poorly worded 
tabloid stories. Okay. It certainly sparked a wider conversation on the ethics around surrogacy and organ donation, which when I read that initially, I was like, okay, so she's throwing up a completely hypothetical scenario, but I think she's saying like, if the person who died was willing, maybe that could be another use. And with that same logic, it's like, okay, if that person wanted that and was cool with it, then okay. But I do picture it going awry and I picture some shady shit happening. It says the associate professor floats around the idea of a setup similar to the organ donor register in that a woman would need to consent to having her body used for pregnancy prior to such a thing taking place. She calls her idea whole body gestational donation or WBGD and says that it's one that deserves serious consideration. The idea was also shared by the Columbian Medical College who later backtracked and apologized for doing so. In her paper, she argues that we already know pregnancies can be successfully carried to term in brain dead women and suggest there is no obvious medical reason why initiating such pregnancies would not be possible, referencing the question of ethics within the world of surrogacy as it exists today. Continuing on, the professor said, since we are happy to accept that organ donors are dead enough to donate, we should have no objections to WBGD on these grounds. Mm. WBGD donors are as dead as other donors, no more, no less. Since we are happy to prolong the somatic survival of already pregnant brain dead women, to initiate pregnancy among eligible brain dead donors should not be trouble us unduly. Of course, this proposal may seem shocking to some people. Nevertheless, as I have shown, if we accept that our current approach to organ donation and reproductive medicine are sound, WBGD donation seems to follow relatively smoothly from procedures that we are already undertaking separately. So she definitely has a point here, Mm -hmm. but it also just seems, I don't know. You know, I'm not like, when it comes to like ethics, I'm very much of the belief that when we die, we die and, Mm -hmm. and there's probably nothing after. That's just where I kind of stand. Right. But it feels so unethical to me. And I don't know why. And I don't know if that's just because it's such a new concept or it's because I have so many negative connotations from like the past research and mm-hmm. episode that we've done on this where I'm just kind of like, can they really consent? Or like, how do we know they would still want this? It's a weird thing because I'm all for the science behind surrogacy, IVF, everything. Like, I think it's incredible if somebody wants a child and needs help that, you know, science has given them different options. However, yeah, it's weird because think about that child born. Oh, I was born through surrogacy. I guess they could say that. But like, I was born in a dead woman's body. But I guess what's the difference too, you know? I mean, like, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I mean, I'm a huge believer in do whatever the fuck you want with your body. If that's the choice you make, love it. Go for it. Do you, babe? But I think it just kind of, there's like this eerie factor to me, which is kind of like you were saying earlier, like the imagery that I get is just like this hospital room lined up with women on ventilators. Yeah. But also I know so many people who have donated organs or family members of people who have donated organs are like... Like, we're so happy that we were able to provide this miracle for somebody else. So I guess if you're down to do it, Mm -hmm. you're down to do it. I guess I wonder, I'm like, how would that go down? Like, because obviously a family's not paid for organ donation. Mm -hmm. But if they're using this body as a surrogate, that's a very pricey thing. And also, what's the success rate? And I wonder, too, like, are there any effects on the baby, either physically or psychologically, from being born this way? Psychologically, like... Because we know that there's 
what's it called when it's passed down? It wouldn't be biologically. It's being grown. A surrogate. Yeah. I think there's something to be said about a baby's home for nine months. I don't know. There's like science behind like, you know, talk to the belly, like yeah. play it music, all of these things. And who knows if this is just pseudoscience bullshit. Right. But. Yeah, there is something. It was just interesting. It's eerie. Uh-huh. It's eerie and it does. It feels futuristic. It feels like an episode of Black Mirror. Well, there was also so much religion tied into somatic pregnancy after brain death and like mm-hmm. reasonings for the woman who had experienced brain death to carry the baby to full term. I'm like, okay, well, how do you feel about this? They wouldn't be for it because I feel like a lot of religions are against IVF, are against surrogacy. Like, like the hardcore yeah. Oh, yeah. It's. I don't know. It's interesting. It is. It's very interesting. Spencer, you're telling me all this, and I actually have a listener email that kind of goes with this. Okay. You'll see what I mean, but I wanted to read it. It's very interesting. It's from Wendy. She says, hey, Madison, Spencer, Hot Dog, Desi, and Doris. My daughter and I are OG G-offs. We love the show. We cry, laugh, and learn in every episode, which uh, what a great compliment. Love a mother-daughter G-off duo. I know. She says, it has been great bonding with my daughter over your show. She's 20, and I'm your oldest G-off at 62. You're not our oldest G-off. Mm-hmm. Mm. Not even close. You'd be surprised. You would be. We had our water bed, girly. Yeah. 71. Oh, yeah. And who was the one who walked every day? I think she, she was, was yeah. in her 70s Up as there. well. Yeah. Huh. Love it. Trues, my daughter, goes to school at UCSB, and I was driving home from a visit listening to the episode, including the people who died twice hilarity, when it struck me. My aunt, Lucy, was another, she died twice witch. Yes, she was a witch. Don't get me started. That's a whole other story. Oh, God. Well, here's the story. We changed the names other than our own to protect the guilty and the innocent. My cousin Sandy, daughter of my maternal aunt Lucy, got a call that her mom had overdosed and was hospitalized in the high desert of California. Oh, I'm sorry. No. Since Sandy lives out of state, she contacted my mom, Sharon, Lucy's younger sister, to go to the hospital to see the situation. We were told she was unconscious and on life support. My mom called me and my aunt, her younger sister Helen, to see if we could all meet at the hospital. Of course, we agreed and headed to the hospital. Upon arrival, Lucy was on total life support. More equipment than I have ever seen on a living person. After several hours, the doctor asked to have a meeting about her condition. We met with a large panel of doctors with my cousin on the phone. The doctors explained that she was not going to survive. She had owed deed on Tylenol and her liver was dying. Oh no. She was in the early phase of total organ failure. They asked to have permission to remove her from life support and let nature take its course. We agreed to let her go. We decided that my mom and I would stay with her and Helen would go rest at a hotel. About an hour later she was removed from life support and we were able to be with her waiting. We talked to her, told her we all loved her and we were there for her. After about four hours the doctor approached us. They indicated that she was fighting to survive and asked if they could put her back on support. What the fuck are you kidding? 
God. Of course we agreed and they proceeded. After the process, they told us she was stable and to get some rest and they would monitor her and call if they needed us. I feel guilt like, yeah, we pulled the plug. (laughs) We took you off. Sorry. Upon reaching the hotel, we updated Helen. She decided to head to the hospital at about 6 a.m. to sit with her. Upon arrival, Helen was informed that her condition was improving. About an hour later, Lucy regained consciousness, and when she awoke, she saw her younger sister at her bedside. She said, where's my breakfast, and what the hell are you doing here? (laughs) Such the drama queen always. Seven days later, she walked out of the hospital fully recovered. No fucking way. No lasting effects. It was a crazy miracle. However, she was always troubled, and she did overdose about six months later and unfortunately did pass away. Oh, but she said, I wasn't ready yet. Not yet. Thank you for being two amazing people, keeping real for all of us. Forever a Geoff attaches a picture of our puppy doorknob. Yes, doorknob. Another story for another day, Wendy. <laughs> that is an incredible story. Um, Phenomenal. Wish you would have sent it in sooner. I am obsessed. I know. Lucy, what a fighter. And unfortunately, rest in peace. But you said, I'm not ready yet. She's not ready yet. Rest in peace, Lucy Gal. You guys must feel like real assholes for pulling her off. Yeah, speaking of. Okay, well, get this. (laughs) But no, literally, my first one, my first asshole this week is, am I the asshole for not telling my sister that our aunt is dying? (gasps) Okay, let's hear. Sounds dramatic. First time posting on this forum. Apologies if I'm breaking one of the rules about this sub. I'm not sure if my sister browses this Reddit, but I know she's active on the app, so I'm using a throwaway account and pseudonyms. Anyway, I, 30-year-old female, have a sister, 32-year-old female. Let's call her Brenda. Brenda has had a hard- Not Brenda. (laughs) I always just think of scary movie- Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, this Brenda has had a hard life, mostly due to her own actions. She is an addict, alcohol and opioids, and has been charged with a variety of crimes, including multiple DUIs and a felony that I'll just say involved her lying about being in a life-threatening situation oh. to get money out of a friend. Oh. While I realize Brenda's addiction issues are more than just a problem of a lack of discipline and control, she has never taken personal responsibility for her actions and always finds a way to blame her problems on other people. I was gonna say like if you're an addict you can't really help that but you can definitely be held accountable for your actions a few years ago brenda's fiance passed away suddenly despite how he died my parents believe my sister had involvement in his death (gasps) and cut off all contact with her they've cut off contact with her multiple times before so this isn't an unusual response for them i don't agree with this decision but i don't press my parents about it so they think brenda's a killer i guess i am the only one in my family who still talks to my sister and we have an okay relationship we talk regularly but sometimes i feel like she's using me to get to my parents we will talk about how hard her life is and she'll try to manipulate me in ways to get them to intervene about a month ago my aunt my mom's sister suffered a brain aneurysm and subsequently had two strokes she has been declared partially brain dead and has been in a coma ever since the odds of her surviving are slim more than likely she'll be taken off of life support in the next 30 days A few days after my aunt was hospitalized, my family told me that they do not want me to tell Brenda about my aunt because they feel like she would make the decision about her in some way, and no one in my family has the energy to deal with that right now. While my aunt and sister were close at one point, they haven't talked since before Brenda's fiancé died, and my aunt was supportive of my parents cutting off contact with Brenda. 
For what it's worth, I think my aunt would not want Brenda to know about her condition. In the likely event that my aunt passes, my parents have said they do not want Brenda to know. I want to honor my family's wishes, particularly my aunt's, but I know if Brenda finds out about my aunt from someone else, like a mutual friend or social media or just plain old Google, she'll be angry with me for not telling her and not giving her the opportunity to make amends and say goodbye. Mm. I haven't said anything yet. Don't know if I should. It feels like it's not my place, but I don't think Brenda will see it that way. So am I the asshole for not telling Brenda about our aunt? Ooh, I don't think you're an asshole either way. That's a hard situation. But if I were in your shoes, I wouldn't. I think it all depends. Like, obviously, this person knows Brenda better than anyone. Mm -hmm. People suffering or sick with addiction can be really tricky because there's some that are very much able to live their daily lives and and function. They're functioning Mm -hmm. alcoholics or functioning addicts. But if it's a a situation where you know that it's just going to be chaos, chaos, but also it's death and that's such a... You either say now and she can see her while she's still technically alive. Uh Uh-huh. Or she's going to find out somehow later on. But the aunt who is dying doesn't want Brenda to know. I don't know if they know that. I think they just... Because the aunt was supportive of the parents cutting off Brenda. Yeah. So, I don't know. Ooh, Tough. Tough tough situation. Usually, I really lean one way or the other, but I agree with you. I don't think she's the asshole if she didn't tell her sister. Yeah. But I also don't think she's an asshole if she... It's not her her. responsibility. No, but since she's like kind of the in-between person, that's Mm -hmm. a really tough position to be in. Mm -hmm. Hard. God, well... I hope the aunt's okay and you don't have to deal with that anytime soon. No. I think she's pulled the plug, sis. (laughs) Oh no, Brenda did it. And then I have one more that says, would I be the asshole if I won't be there when my family scatters my mother's ashes? Okay. I'm a 29-year-old male. My mother died in September of 2021 and it was all very sudden and a huge shock for all of us. She was only 56. Her death has hit me very hard because I was already in a depression before she she died and her death obviously didn't help. She was the only family member that I felt close with. I'm not particularly close with my sister, 32-year-old female, and I'm very disconnected with my father, a 56-year-old male. I'm slowly realizing that he was borderline abusive in my childhood with his huge anger he always expressed towards me. He's not very emotional except for anger, very contrary to me. My mother mentioned a few times throughout her life that she'd like the idea of her ashes being scattered in the Grand Canyon when she dies. Where I live, the family usually doesn't receive the ashes after cremation they need to be buried we managed to get a portion of the ashes though so now the family has organized a huge family trip to the u.s that's supposed to last three weeks The U.S. are on the other side of the Atlantic, so it's a very expensive and stressful journey. They all don't mind because they enjoy such holidays, which I really don't. I'm never away longer than a week, and even that is rare. At first, I obviously accepted to join with my mother in mind, but now that the trip is coming closer and closer, my fear of this trip is getting bigger and bigger. I'm literally still afraid of my father, even though his behavior Mm. towards me changed a lot when I moved out and started my own life. We have respect for each other, but I honestly don't feel 
feel love towards him and we never talked about any emotions at all and he never expressed much understanding towards my emotions that I mostly kept hidden. Says he doesn't feel comfortable sharing his depression with his father and says I never thought it would be a good idea. My family organized it economically so I'll mostly share hotel rooms with my father which is terrifying to me for no other reason than the past. He doesn't get angry anymore since my mother passed. I'm a homebody and my privacy, my living space and my close friends are the most important things in my life that give me strength and help me through my chronic depression. I'd be disconnected from that for three weeks with no escape in a very stressful environment to open a closing wound of losing my mother. Now I want to tell them that I won't join them after all. Maybe it's weak. They surely won't like it. I'd leave the memory of my mother to them and opt out because of my own emotions and disregard my fathers and sisters. Would I be the asshole? No. Protect your peace. Uh-huh. Okay, it's ashes. I get it. It's like a very emotional thing. Sure. I don't think your mom would want you to go through. Three weeks is a long time. Yeah, it's almost a month. That's crazy. Like, what about work? And having to share hotel rooms. And- no. Mm-hmm. It might be better in the long run for you to not go because I know if you're with anybody for a long amount of time, fights are going to happen. Arguments are going to happen. And so it's no protect your peace. Protect your peace. It doesn't mean you don't love her any less or that you don't miss her any less. I say it purely on the relationship with the dad and the fact that you'd have to be forced to share a hotel room and you're not comfortable with that because I do think there are times in your life where you have to show up even if you don't want to. And Mm -hmm. that's just my belief. Yeah. And the way that I live my life is very much and I mean you have to show up sometimes in a perfect world you wouldn't have to but yeah I get it sometimes you do you gotta do things that you don't want to do uh-huh it's tricky yeah but I think the mom would understand and that sounds like what's most important to this person yeah as long as it's not gonna come around and fuck you over in the long run though like if you're gonna have major regrets and fall into a worse depression for not going you know it's yeah. like yeah I don't know. Things you have to think about. Three weeks is a long time. Why can't you just fly out and then stay for the scattering and then bounce? That's true, too. This person wanted to still go. You could go and then just fly back early. But also, it sounds like maybe they are, maybe they're dependent financially on the family. Yeah. The family was like, these are the flights we're buying. Yeah. So, I don't know. Tricky. Not an asshole, though, for sure. No. Alrighty. Oh, my God. Okay, wait. Before we get into anything else, I have an update on one of your dumb criminals. On one of my dumb criminals? Yes. Amazing. It's a good one. So this is from Sandra, and she says, Hi, Spencer, Madison, and Pups. I was listening to episode 79 and lost my mind when I heard you talk about the Florida Phantom Fireworks fire as your dumb ass criminal. Is that the guy who died? Yes. Oh no, sorry. I know. She said, I live nearby and don't really believe this was a dumbass criminal, but have an update that will blow your fireworks off. Oh, set them off, baby. Okay, this is just weird. So first off, the first guy was a 53-year-old man, and there is a theory that he either had a medical emergency or had already died before the crash. I know we had talked about that after. Uh The road this happened in is a four-way stop with a traffic light that was red and he did not stop for it rear-ending a pickup truck and then driving straight through that building now for the update 
Two weeks later at 2 a.m., another man drove his sedan GMC into the same building. What? Or what was left of the building. So no firework explosion this time. He lived and was cited for negligent driving. So she sent me that. She sent me the crash story. But I'm like, maybe it's a faulty not a faulty signal but like a one of those signals that's like really... always people fuck up or drive through yeah so <gasps> oh my god you never know that's crazy weird that's like that thing where it's like if i had a nickel for uh-huh. happened, it'd be weird yeah whatever it's happened twice <laughs> it's kind of weird i know oh bizarre bizarre how bizarre how bizarre well how you're bizarre. up first this week I am, which means we need a side bitch from you. I got a side bitch for you, bitch. And I'm going to, I don't want to say her professional name yet. Okay. I want to read you her real name and see if you can remember who this is. Okay. But if not, I'll tell you. All right. Okay, so this is the obituary from the Times Union. And it starts, after graduating college in 1992, Joan Marie Larer took odd jobs, entered- Joan? Joan Marie Larer. Okay. Took odd jobs, entered fitness contests, and eventually trained to become a flight attendant. Oh, I have no idea. Then she discovered the athleticism and theatricality of the mostly male pro wrestlers on TV and decided she too could leap from the turnbuckles. Within a few years, the 5'10", muscle-bound beauty was outfitted in leather and sparkles and (gasps) nationally known as China. Oh! China! Pro wrestling's first female superstar taking on both women and men in the ring. I remember. Uh Uh-huh. Seemingly just as quickly, her wrestling career was over, and Lara struggled to remain in the spotlight, posing for Playboy, revealing her struggles with addiction on reality TV, and making several adult films. Okay, wait. I remember her on, like, Celebrity Rehab or one of the... Okay. So it talks about that, and then it says, on Wednesday, police found the 46-year-old dead in her Redondo beach apartment they were responding to a 911 call from a friend who said the former world wrestling entertainment performer failed to open her phone for days and so i remembered this because i think i was still working in redondo at the Mm -hmm. time and i remember people were talking about it Mm. because you know redondo is such like a like a small town vibe uh yeah like people know each other's beach city yeah Investigators didn't immediately release a cause of death, but noted there were no indications of foul play. Police initially reported the death as a possible overdose, Los Angeles County's Assistant Chief Coroner Ed Winter said. An autopsy was planned in the next few days, he said, but it could be weeks before the toxicology results are known. Laura wrote in her 2001 autobiography, If They Only Knew, which I want to read because I feel like she had a really interesting life, that she watched wrestlers on television before she became one, and she would shake her head at how the women were presented as merely a sideshow wrestling i could do that i remember shouting at the tv (laughs) she wrote she trained at walter killer kowalski's wrestling school and claimed she could bench press more than 280 pounds the wwe known as the world wrestling federation hired china in 1997 as a bodyguard for its marquee performer triple h with whom she later became romantically involved (gasps) with in real life and in the wwe's scripted storylines I just remember seeing those like I never knew it was fake. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
till right now. <laughs> till right this minute. But it was immediately clear the raven-haired China could break through as a star in her own right, said Jack Jorgensen, an editor with the sports and entertainment website Fansighted. This big woman coming out of the crowd, it was something you'd never seen before, he recalled of her first appearance in the ring. She was polarizing, but she made it okay for a woman to get in there with the men. Even on the theatrical stage that is the WWE, she made it believable that she could compete with a man. China was billed as the ninth wonder of the world because her wrestling predecessor, Andre the Giant, had already called himself the eighth. After leaving the WWE in 2001, Lara was determined to stay active in the entertainment industry. She wrote her memoir, became a semi-regular on Howard Stern's radio show, and appeared in TV sitcoms like Third Rock from the Sun, and reality shows including The Surreal Life. She was in Playboy twice and appeared in a string of porn movies. Lara later came clean about her struggles on Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew. Days before she was found dead, China appeared disjointed as she wandered around her apartment wearing headphones and a feather in her hair in a 13-minute video she posted online. Oh. And that's the end of it. Okay, so here's the thing. I was like, this obituary feels like it was equal parts... I, it didn't do a good job memorializing her, I feel Yeah. Like, like you got to feel for like, okay, that's amazing. She grew up watching this and wanted to be part of it. But it also details everything bad, too. I feel like, I mean, we love New York Times. We love LA Times. We love all, but they kind of do tell all the good and the yeah, bad. They're pretty honest, I yeah. would say. Closest thing to a death notice. Yeah, but what a weird way to end it. I know. It'd be like, you know, the WWE. WWE. <laughs> They really, you know, they miss her. They you know, or Nothing something. Sweet. You gotta end with she was walking around wearing a feather in her hair for thirteen minutes. Yeah, like she's on, she's clotheslining angels in heaven or something. Yeah. You know, like so she's smashing chairs on the back of people's heads on, in heaven. Yes, I love it. Well, we're actually gonna take a quick break so that we can practice our wrestling moves yes. on each other, <laughs> and uh, we'll be right back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Okay, we just got back from, we just body slammed each other. Yeah. <laughs> just imagine. <laughs> What had you spend in your coffee this week? <laughs> wrestling? <laughs> oh my god, well kind of. I mean, wrestling outfits are so cool. Oh, this segue. This honey. segue, honey. <laughs> 
Have you ever thought about your last outfit ever? I think of that um, meme that they say where it's like every day, just remember that that could be your ghost outfit forever. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. I've wondered about it. I've wondered about what, not my last outfit would be living, but what my last outfit would be dead. Like what you'll be buried in? What will I be wearing at my funeral? Or in your case, if you want to be cremated, what are you going to wear on your way into the retort? I think they just put a sheet on you unless they you have. Yeah. Really? Yeah. They put a sheet on you or it's like a cotton cloth thing. Oh. Or you can, I think, be cremated with your clothes, but I'm like, why? You know? Well, I don't know. I want to be wearing something over the top, something that makes me look just thin. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, can the autopsy technician cut Cut out a rib? Yeah, please. (laughs) Do some lipo? And I want to look beautiful and probably something pink and sparkly. But before I dive in, if you geoffs have not listened to our episode, Oh Bitch, I'd Rather Be Cursed Than Broke, I think it's in the 20s or 30s, Spencer, you taught us about getting a body ready and focused on like some early American techniques. And you talked all about actually getting the body dressed and just the embalming and the makeup and hair. And I went back and listened to that episode when I was writing this because I didn't want to double up on anything. Uh And I was cracking up. That was a great episode. So go listen. Oh, good for us. (laughs) (laughs) Usually I don't like re-listening to my voice, but it was a good good episode. Same. We actually came on (laughs) the other morning. I was driving to get coffee and an episode just randomly started playing and I just let it. Play. Let it play. And I was like laughing. Hey, this is pretty good. I remember this. <laughs> but just a, a refresher of what you went over. Loose fitting clothes, probably the best. Uh-huh. Because your body, after going through being embalmed, if you choose to do oh, that. Honey, you could bloat. Yeah, you could bloat. You could swell. You could be stiff. All of it. So loose-fitting clothes is probably the best. A lot of times, clothing is cut down the back to properly fit. And shoes are pretty much optional, which you covered all of that. And <laughs> we were like, hide the lower half or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Hide the lower half. Vice interviewed a funeral director in an article I linked that explains that point further. Quote, Carvalli said that many people think about looks, but not the process. We have to put this on without standing the body up. So whatever is being brought in has to be rolled and tugged. And that to me, I was like, oh, fuck, yeah. Like, it's not like a mannequin. Like, you can't stand a body up. Like, you got to figure out a way to get get the clothing on. And it goes on, if you bring clothing into a corporate funeral home, I can bet you every dollar in my bank account that they will cut it up the back and slip it over you like a dressing gown. So then I guess you can bring whatever you like in. In other words, if you insist on wearing that Hervé Leger bandage dress one last time, remember those had like a hold on people? Uh Uh-huh. Getting it onto your mortal shell could be a little more gruesome and destructive than you'd think. Of course, planning to be buried in a garment negates normal concerns like resale value or looking good from all angles. And in that respect, clients are free to pick the outfit that suits them best. So now, with the technical stuff out of the way... 
let's get to the fun stuff. What are you going to wear? Everything I have read has summed up choosing your burial outfit as something that is very personal. It must be something that you like and feel comfortable in. And I know that sounds funny because you're not going to feel it. But truly, you have to like what you're going to wear for your last outfit. What if there's a fucking zombie apocalypse and you got to come out of your grave and walk around? (laughs) Yeah. How do you want to be remembered? And I think an outfit can tell a lot about a person. Like, were you super expressive? Were you subtle and classic? Did you lean towards a specific era with your outfits? Did you serve your country and where are <laughs> did you serve cunt <laughs> did you you could i mean i want to serve cunt i want to serve cunt in my co- i like honestly with this mullet i'm like i might have to get buried just to keep it oh my god i love to it be remembered oh beautiful <laughs> joe dirt <laughs> The possibilities are endless. There are also cultural aspects. In many cultures, burial outfits hold a lot of value and meaning. For example, and this is very generalized, but a Buddhist would typically be buried in something casual, nothing fancy or expensive, as they believed that you don't have to have elaborate, expensive ceremonies for the end of life. It's just another part of the cycle. Muslims, according to funeralcompanion.com, it says, quote, cremations for muslims are also forbidden the bodies are to be washed three times until entirely clean women's hair should be washed and braided into three braids once the body has gone through this ritual the body will be covered in a white sheet women will be fitted in a sleeveless dress and head veil and then catholics typically go a little more formal in attire as it could be seen as being disrespectful if not so those are you know there's obviously so many religions and cultures and they have very different dress codes those are just a few examples but i wanted to get into looking at what some famous people wore some not famous people wore for their forever outfit probably the most fabulous funeral outfits uh, were aretha franklin's so aretha franklin first of all had a gold-plated casket iconic beautiful she was such a star and had three public viewings before her actual private services for the first viewing she wore a red lacy dress red louboutin heels and red lips and nails as a nod to delta sigma theta sorority which she was an honorary member of and then the second viewing she wore all powder blue with matching blue heels and then the third viewing she wore a rose gold suit with louboutins then she was laid to rest in a long gold gown with matching heels i love it i love a funeral outfit change oh my god a reveal are you kidding me the wedding the reception some people change up the dresses why not the funeral So now Marilyn Monroe, her half-sister Bernice Miracle chose her last outfit. She was in charge of that. And Marilyn's housekeeper helped her choose it. She knew that Marilyn's favorite color was blue and thought that a blue dress would be appropriate. But Marilyn didn't have any blue dresses. But she did have a favorite dress. It was a beautiful Emilio Pucci sheath dress. And it had a boat neck, three-quarter inch sleeves. And hit below the knee in a beautiful like light avocado pale green apple color and it was belted and then she also had a scarf around her neck 
and it's beautiful. I'll post pictures of her alive in the dress, but that is what she was buried in. Now, Elvis is said to have been dressed in a white jumpsuit, scarf, and gold belt for his public viewing, but his funeral was closed to the public. It's said that in his private viewing, he wore a white suit, a blue shirt, and his taking care of business ring and a Mm. bracelet. Anna Nicole Smith, and (laughs) love her we love her so much and this is fucked up to say but i think that i would want my funeral attire to kind of be like what she wore it was a private funeral however there's some pictures like going into the funeral there were pink roses everywhere the pallbearers wore pink ties and pink roses in their like button hoops of their lapel they had it on their lapel it wasn't a lapel. It was like a rose in each where like a button goes, I guess. Okay. And there was a furry pink blanket on her coffin with rhinestones all over it that said <laughs> Anna. Love it. Spelled out her name. All the mourners were asked to wear pink. She had a picture of herself like looking like Marilyn Monroe next to the casket. And then in the casket, she wore a beautiful pink princess ball gown and a crown. Deserved. She was a queen. Now, George H.W. Bush. <laughs> Another queen. <laughs> Another queen. No, he, I guess in his life, he always had different socks for every occasion. And so for his funeral, he was buried in socks that had planes all over them as a way to pay tribute to his time as a naval aviator and then his time serving the country two i've mentioned before i've mentioned bella lugosi he yes he wore a replica of his dracula costume and then in that episode that i mentioned earlier i had referenced Gigi allen and he wore a jock strap and a leather jacket yes and we love it love it that's what i want to be buried in with with the mullet (laughs) i know now jaja gabor Mm. This one's for the urns, okay? We <laughs> let's give it up for the urns. Let's give it up for the urns. We did not forget about you. So Jaja was cremated after she died in 2016, and her funeral was very small, very intimate, held in Beverly Hills. And her husband arrived there with her ashes. Her ashes were in like a gold box, but the box was placed inside of a Louis Vuitton dog carrier that he carried around. <laughs> okay. Her husband gave a eulogy explaining that this carrier went everywhere with them and that he chose this to hold her urn in because dogs were her best people. I guess she loved dogs so much. When he went up to give his eulogy on stage, he took the urn with him because he was like, she would have been like, if you're going on stage, I'm going (laughs) on stage. She was Hungarian and wanted to be buried in Hungary. Uh huh. I guess the carrier with her urn like flew first class with champagne and everything <laughs> to Hungary. I love it. I love it. Okay, now many people opt to get married in their wedding dress. This story's sad, so just prepare. Many but... people opt to get married in their wedding dress. Some people are buried in their wedding dresses, okay? <laughs> okay. 
A woman named Wendy Martinez was jogging in Washington, D.C. in 2018 when she was brutally stabbed and killed. A few days prior to this tragic event, she had gotten engaged and even found and bought her wedding reception dress. Her family told NBC Washington, over the weekend, we went to look for her wedding dress. So when I saw my daughter dressing up or trying out her dress, I never imagined that she was buying the dress for her funeral. So they chose to bury her in it. And guests were asked to wear bright colors. Okay, but then there's this wedding dress story. And this is from the New York Post. And I got to just read it for you. A bride's $2,300 wedding gown was rendered unwearable by an unfortunate mix-up months before her wedding. But before she could find out what really happened to her dress... Her groom-to-be tried to hide his jaw-dropping mistake and get a replacement made in time. Keja, the owner of Keja's Bridal and Special Occasion Boutique in Chicago, Illinois, shared the wild wedding story on TikTok. So this groom calls me today, frantic as hell, crying practically. Can you help me? My bride bought her dress with you last year. I understand that she picked it up, but I need to reorder it, she said. Keja told him that of course she could reorder it, but she was confused. I'm thinking, why is the groom calling me? Is this like a ploy to find out info? She went on. The groom said that while he had seen the dress, he knew nothing about it and was single-mindedly focused on reordering it quickly. Still trying to troubleshoot, Keja said that there might not be enough time to get new alterations done ahead of the November wedding, but if the dress they already bought just needed some tweaks, the bride should bring it in. But the groom cut her off. He said, alterations are not an option. There's nothing to alter. I need to know if you can reorder this dress. Keja called the manufacturer and learned that because of the customizations, the dress would take a while to remake. It's an unfortunate situation, the brother of the bride said. You see, the bride gave the dress to our mother to go ahead and store in safekeeping. And my mom did just that. She put it in her closet and no one goes in there, just my mom. Then, two weeks ago, their grandmother died. So Grandpa was buried in his tuxedo. Grandma wanted to be buried in her wedding dress, the brother said. Oh, no. Mom told me and my future brother-in-law to go get Grandma's wedding dress out of the closet. So we did. We didn't know to get the box. We took the bag. Being guys, they didn't know better. They didn't know there were multiple wedding dresses in the closet. So the guys took the dress and they dropped it off at the funeral home. Keja wanted to know why there was no point that the family saw grandma dressed in the wrong gown. Apparently it was a closed casket, Keja said. So no one knew that this wedding dress is on grandma. The bride's wedding dress is on grandma. This dress is buried six feet under with grandma. (laughs) Grandma has now been buried in the bride's dress for two weeks and the mother of the bride just realized what happened. Now Keja said, She, the groom, and the bride's brother are scrambling to fix the error without upsetting the bride, and Keja is doing her best to get the manufacturer to make it on time. Oh, my God. Can you believe? That's insane. Oh, my God. Furious. Good for Grandma for being able to... A new wedding dress? Yeah. She's like, come up. Come up. (laughs) Come up on the come down, honey. Six feet. (laughs) She said, no peeking. (laughs) 
the luck. <laughs> She's probably laying there happy. Like, yeah, baby. Ooh. Oh my God, I love it. Yes. Amazing. Incredible. That's a great grand finale for your coffin spinner. <laughs> I can't get over like, yeah, I had to buy a new dress because grandma's buried in it. Grandma got buried in mine. Fuck. All right. Well, we'll take a quick break. Okay. When we come back. We'll see what had you spinning in your coffin. We sure will. We'll be right back. Considering a master's in forensic science, but juggling family and work, the University of Florida Forensic Science Online Graduate Program is your solution. Tailored for working pros, this entirely online program fits seamlessly into your schedule. Crafted with FBI and law enforcement input, the curriculum equips you with skills to elevate your career. Join over 1,500 graduates who earned their master's since 2000. Specialize in forensic toxicology, DNA and serology, forensic drug chemistry, or create your plan with an MS in forensic science. Advance your career with a master's. No need to rearrange your life. It's online, interactive, and built for professionals like you. No GRE required. Network with forensic pros globally. Ready for the next chapter? Join the world's largest forensic science program and alumni network at forensicscience.ufl.edu slash Wondery. Your journey begins at the University of Florida. Whether you hydrate to live or live to hydrate, Liquid IV quenches your thirst faster than water alone. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness, all in a single sugar-free stick. Liquid IV is perfect for daily use before a workout. When you feel run down, after a long night out, or on long flights. Basically, anytime you need a pick-me-up, however you hydrate. Grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco. Or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WONDERY at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WONDERY at liquidiv.com. And we're back. Spencer, what had you spinning? Girly, a television, movies, pictures, moving pictures. You ever heard of Oh my God, put me in a room with a TV. Oh, honey. I'll be there forever. Please, lock her up, lock her up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, in our episode, Oh Bitch, Bones, 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 that we put out in October, I covered what happens when an actor dies in the middle of filming a television show or movie. Yes. And on Cult Leader, I've covered several Hollywood tragedies where people died on set. This week, I wanted to know how many movies or television shows have featured actual dead bodies. <gasps> what? Turns out quite a few. Is that legal? Well, <laughs> in the 70s. Oh, <laughs> no, anything, anything flew. What's really crazy is there's one in particular I'll get to later on, but I've heard rumors about certain movies the same way like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean right at Disneyland. I was just thinking that. Yeah, there's real bones. Yeah. Right? Okay. I don't know. I was like, I know that there's rumors about some of these movies. The most famous one is actually the movie Poltergeist. Mm. And so I have a little article from Screen Rant that says, Why Poltergeist's ending used real human skeletons. Poltergeist's ending sees the Freelings encounter multiple skeletons arising out of the ground. Skeletons that once, in fact, belonged to real people. There's a picture. (gasps) Oh my god. Those were real? Yes. It says, When it comes to ghost movies, few command as much respect as 1982's Poltergeist. While there's been a debate ever since its release about who really directed Poltergeist, Some involved say credited director Toby Hooper. Others insist it was producer Steven Spielberg. Isn't there a 
a lot of drama around that movie. Oh too. my god, it's a haunted set. Haunted the, the actress set. died. The little yeah. girl. Lots of things. It's set in the quiet California suburb of Cuesta Verde. Poltergeist looks at what happens when the life of a seemingly quiet, normal family gets turned upside down by supernatural events. The Freelings find themselves menaced by the spirits of the dead, particularly one called the Beast, who seek to use their young daughter Carol Ann's strong life essence to guide them towards the afterlife. It's famously revealed near the end of Poltergeist that the creators of Cuesta Verde actually built the community on top of an old cemetery Mm -hmm. and didn't bother to move the bodies buried there understandably angering their ghost mm. this includes a bunch of skeletons that emerge from the ground in one scene and shock the freelings mm. in scenes made all the scarier where those skeletons came from this sequence is one of the most unsettling in the film and it turns out unbeknownst to williams who plays the mom the skeletons used were taken from actual human beings according to crew members poltergeist purchased these skeletons from a medical supply company <gasps> as doing so apparently costs much less than creating fake skeletons or purchasing oh. pre-made skeleton replicas, which I feel like we've talked about when we talked about like I think that skeleton. same episode. Was it the same I, one? I think because I talked about all about like the skeleton trade. Uh-huh. Yes. But, and we know that it was cheaper than replicas. That's why like certain places, I think I remember like the Keels story that was like part of it. It says this is the kind of thing that Hollywood used to sometimes do that would never fly today as one can only imagine the online hysteria if a current movie was found to be using real human corpses, which is like so fucking true because mm-hmm. like imagine now be like on tiktok they'd be like reason number five you should never watch uh-huh oh it wouldn't even come out oh please it would not canceled but i thought it was crazy and i'm like also maybe that's why the set was so fucking haunted because well, really- it's, dis- it's unethical oh please except for me you can use my bones i, I was picture. about to I'm think like, like give put, me my movie star make me the star you can do whatever please prop us up somewhere oh my god put a baby in me i'll bake it <laughs> just us, kidding put us on a carnival imagine i want us to just end up in a fun house somewhere didn't you do a story on cult leader about that traveling guy Mm -hmm. yes there was that like rebel who like got killed and then they found him and they put him at a fun house in long beach yeah i found several other stories from movie web and ranker so i compiled them together want to go through them apocalypse now have you ever seen it Mm -mm. it's mayans or aztecs Apocalypse Now is the one. It has a Marlon Brando in it. It came out in the 70s. Oh, never mind. I'm <laughs> way off. No, it... Um, I'm thinking Apocalypto. It's a Vietnam War movie, I guess. Oh, okay. Oh, no, where Captain Willard goes on his mission to Cambodia to assassinate a renegade Green Beret who has set himself up as a god amongst a local tribe. It says it was incredibly difficult to film for everyone involved. It was projected to take 14 weeks to film and this duration quickly turned into 16 months. The filming kept getting interrupted by events such as having to survive in the Philippian jungle battling a typhoon in the lead actor showing up to the set completely unprepared. It was made even more difficult by the crazy antics of the set designers who, in the spirit of attempting to be creative and create an atmosphere of authenticity to get actors into the mindset of war, scattered dead rats around the set to create the smell of death. Oh my god. Please, who said Hollywood was all glitz and glam? Ooh. When producer Gray Fredrickson confronted the production designer and prop crew about the health risk posed by the dead rats, he overheard one of the crew muttering, wait until he hears about the bodies. (gasps) 
This led to a horrifying discovery of several dead bodies being kept behind the tent where everyone ate and the plot to string them from the trees to further this spirit of authenticity. What? What? Not just skeletons? This, however, was not the craziest bit. It eventually came out that the man who had sold the set designers the corpses had originally claimed to be a man who sold cadavers to hospitals for student use, but was actually a grave robber who had (gasps) dug up and stolen the bodies. Nothing makes me grossed out like eating lunch with dead bodies. I truly am getting gaggy. The entire cast and crew were arrested until they were able to prove they had nothing to do with getting the bodies. And none of the bodies were included in the final cut of the film. I've never heard this story. Isn't that fucking wild? What the fuck? They need to do a fucking movie on this or a Netflix show. On like the, no, they need to do a movie on like the making of, like, you know how they did it for the crow? They could do it for this. Yeah. Making of this movie. (gasps) Crazy. Wow. There was this other thriller called A Cruel Picture, which was also known as They Call Her One Eye. And it says this. Hey, that's what they call me. Yeah. Brown Eye. (laughs) (laughs) This is a Swedish film, I guess, according to Ranker, which sent on Madeline, a young girl who is kidnapped by a pimp and forced to work in a brothel. When she claws the face of her first customer, the pimp retaliates by gouging out one of her eyes with a scalpel. The scene is already horrifying, but it's made even more disturbing by the discovery that the scene features a real cadaver. In order to fully capture the blood and gore, a real human eye was punctured by the scalpel. That, along with other strange behavior on set, forced most of the cast and crew to conclude that the director was a little mad that's a film from 1973 so yes banned not all of them okay you you want to watch one (laughs) i'm like movie night (laughs) okay dawn of the dead okay obviously came out in 78 obviously obviously well it came out in the 70s (laughs) yeah i feel like this one was also on that ranker list. It said that while some movies decide to use real skeletons on purpose, other films, such as Dawn of the Dead, bring human remains on set entirely by accident. What do you mean? I guess the makeup specialist on this movie, Tom Savini, borrowed a skeleton from a prop collector. And at the time, he just assumed the skeleton was fake. When filming ended, the skeleton was sold to Marilyn Wick, who owned the famous Costume World costume shops. She placed the skeleton in the front window of her store. And after a few years, authorities noticed that the skeleton looked disturbingly real. So they confiscated the skeleton in the early 80s in 1982 and they performed an autopsy on the skeleton and the autopsy revealed that the skeleton was in fact real and it once belonged to a 35-year-old woman nearly 100 years prior to the discovery. Oh my god. The owner was obviously questioned like how did you get this? Yeah. I don't know. So they eventually tracked down the original owner of the skeleton. He's like, yeah, I knew it was real, but I don't know. What big deal. Big whoops. No one's using it. This one, I have heard so many rumors about Cannibal Holocaust. Mm. Have you ever heard of it? No. Okay, it's the story of a group of tourists who encounter a tribe of cannibals in the middle of a rainforest. I've always heard, like, they show real murder in this movie. They show real... They don't. The film is so realistic, it says, that the director, Ruggiero Diodato, was actually charged with murder during its release. (gasps) The charges were only dropped when he brought forward the actor that he was said to have slain, which I think is why there's so much like controversy about this movie. I feel like I ended up at some weird guy's house once who tried to show me part of this movie um, and like explain like, yeah, there's real people dying. Did and I was you like, watch it? I don't know. I was not in like a good headspace. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was like, I probably just went to try and 
fucking fuck. And then I'm like, okay. <laughs> I know. Go. One of my ex-boyfriends showed me Caligula. Uh-huh. Wild. Uh, why are you always trying to make me watch that with you? <laughs> so don't. Let's not act. <laughs> you have tried to pirate it from that chair right over there. <laughs> it's disgusting. Okay. So nobody actually was murdered, but animals were definitely murdered. Oh, no. Oh, God. That's why I don't like Pink Flamingo, bitch. You I know. know that. The film shows several bloody depictions of animals dying, all of which were 100% real. By filming the movie in the middle of the Amazon, the director didn't have to abide by animal cruelty rules. <gasps> he oh, l- fuck that. He later defended his treatment of animals while filming the movie, saying they don't make the connection between the food on the table that mummy has cooked from the supermarket and the fact that an animal has actually been killed. When you go to a third world country, people kill animals. I saw pigs and rabbits being killed growing up on a country farm when I was young. My son has not seen this because times have changed. He hasn't had the experiences I have. For him, it all comes pre-packed. Despite his claim that most people who eat animals shouldn't have a problem with seeing them slaughtered, most viewers would agree there's a big difference between picking up a packet of bacon at the grocery store and watching a pig be brutally slaughtered. As somebody who's been a vegetarian my whole yeah. life, I'm going to say, don't... It's hypocritical. It's I hypocritical. get it. There's two more I want to talk about. There's Black Mamba, which tells the story of a witch who can use her magic to turn into a python and a doctor who desperately tries to stop her from using her venom against a young child. Sounds like, <laughs> like a nightmare. I want to watch it. It's generally considered to be an uninteresting story, excluding the fact that the film uses real autopsy footage. <gasps> it's says this scene is full of gore and includes a glance at real human brains it's certainly a disturbing addition to what starts as a rather humdrum horror film also came out in 1974 so i'm like the 70s were fucking wild they were like mm-hmm. let's put bodies in films let's do it the last one is frankenstein from 1931 oh they used a real skeleton again for the reason that it was cheaper to buy a cadaver than it was to commission the construction of a fake skeleton the real skeletons don't impress me as much as the cadaver uh huh. In order to stay within budget, production designers decided to take the creepier but less expensive route and use real skeletons. Pretty wild. <laughs> I have two like little articles I wanted to read because they just happened to pop up while I was researching. Mm-hmm. And one was from Business Insider, and it was fucking amazing. It says an actor explains what it's really like to play a dead body on TV. <gasps> Which I'm like obsessed. I'm like, I never thought of that. Yes. Uh, this article's from like 2015. How weird would it be to see yourself die? Right. On TV. Or someone you know. It says, have you ever wondered about the people who play dead bodies on TV? Uh, yeah. Well, now I have. Now? We talked to Chuck Lamb, a 57-year-old part-time corpse actor, to find out how you get the job, what it pays, and what it's like on set. I'm a corpse actor? Do you think he's probably just so good at like not breathing out like you know yes a decade ago lamb a former computer analyst started playing dead for fun turns out he had a knack for it to show (laughs) i fucking love this guy to show off his unique hobby in december of 2005 he launched the website deadbodyguy.com where he would post pictures of himself in different death scenarios around his house (gasps) no the site has since garnered more than 50 million views a ton of publicity and most importantly earned lamb more than two dozen roles as a dead guy in films like thanks killing horrorine and stiff What's the, what's the website called? (laughs) 
It's deadbodyguy.com. Here's how Lamb has made a living out of playing the dead. The former computer analyst for an insurance company had no idea what was to come. While watching Law & Order with his wife one night, he told her, I'd like to be on a TV show or movie just one time so I can see my name in the credits. A few nights later, he had a dream that Lenny Briscoe, the character from Law & Order who always looked down at the corpse of the victim and said something pithy, spoke to him. He woke his wife up and said, I can be a dead body. <laughs> The next day, his wife started taking pictures of him in different death scenarios around the house, which he posted on the website. After the second day, his post got about 200 hits. Six weeks later, he was on the front page of the New York Times. These posts, <laughs> I'm looking at them right now, are fucking hilarious. He began to get inundated with requests to appear on talk shows. The Today Show offered to get him a TV gig in exchange for his very first on-air interview. Good Morning America and CBS Early Morning wanted to get him on the show first, but since Today Show promised to get him a television gig, he agreed to the show's request. Since then, he's done 400 interviews, appeared on countless shows and news sites. He's also attended horror conventions, autograph shows, and the 2006 Oscars. Oh my god. God. His first TV gig was with Amanda Bynes and Jenny Garth on the season four finale of What I Like About You. Ooh. It shows like his credits and it says the dead guy, Chuck <laughs> Lamb. He's gotten a ton of roles since then and he loves playing dead guys, but it's not as glamorous as it may seem, he said. Okay. He spent 10 hours on the set of Stiffs for his four seconds of screen time. It's really neat, but it's nothing like everyone thinks it is. It's not very glamorous, which is fucking true. If you've ever had to work on set for something, mm -hmm. that shit, you're there all fucking day. Yeah. You're in makeup a hundred times more than you're ever on the screen, as the dead guy, Lamb says. That means spending more than an hour in makeup. The corpse makeup artist uses a makeup palette filled with different shades of gray and tan that is informally called the Wheel of Death. And Lamb says corpse actors really do have to lay still the whole time and not blink, which is almost impossible. That'd be Ooh, hard. Yeah, that would be hard. His best tips are to lay still, relax, slow your breathing down, close your eyes almost all the way and go to a happy place. I just try to lay in as still as I can and look as dead as I can, he says. You can really do anything in this life. Really? I'll link the rest of the article, but I just loved it. I thought it was really interesting. I mean, he gets a lot of gigs and he, he still gets a lot of hits on his website. I, I got. love it. You guys gotta go to his website. I just looked through all the pictures. <laughs> he said, I was 47 before I finally got to do what I wanted to do. Oh. I'm like a six foot, 230 pound Cinderella he says it's oh hilarious God. and it's so much fun <laughs> i love him we chuck lamb stands you can do anything you put your mind to you really can and then i have one more little article that says how fake bodies are made for movies and tv shows mm -hmm. also from insider i'm like okay fucking who knew insider was so come through yeah so like death positive there's actually a video that can go with it they talked to bj and eileen winslow who are the co-owners of the prop house their work has appeared in many different shows movies and they like give a whole walkthrough on the thing they're like showing little different things in the video at one point they pick up like a little ball and he's like ah it's a loose testicle and the wife's like that's an eyeball and he's like, ah, i think it's a <laughs> testicle and it says most bodies are made in giant molds they pour the materials usually poly foam into a mold and it's hard to believe that it becomes this fucking body thing you change the hair beard skin color and you can completely transform it into looking like different people yeah and if you see an arm painted flesh tone with no shading on it it looks like a rubber arm that you would see in a halloween shop but they like fucking yeah do it legit and it's more of like a thing you kind of have to see i went to mud makeup school 
Uh-huh. I just wanted to do like glam. You really get that experience from working in the field. Uh-huh. But they did have a whole studio there that was all special effects. And it was so cool because the people that were in those classes were like chemists mixing all these different materials and fully transforming and like for their finals they would come into our class and like show off and they'd be like monsters or like whatever it really is such a fucking art form it's so cool it's crazy the things that people can do i know is like it blows my mind but especially like i mean it's crazy like fx makeup and all of that Uh but when it's like the full bodies that look so real are like there's it's, this one there's guy like sculpting classes and stuff that like you have to be a sculptor yeah to do th- like it's insane well obviously mikey is like incredible at she's incredible makeup. yes but like there's this one guy who i forget his instagram i i don't think i follow it anymore but i really it was really interesting it'd have like a mouth uh-huh. full teeth everything uh-huh. like it's just so the stubble yeah. it's wild like you know we went to the madame tussauds wax museum not too long ago oh we should did i just thought it was like really interesting a that they've used real bodies in movies before uh-huh. and real skeletons but then when i found that chuck lamb story i was like what a guy oh, i love him love there's him. a job for everyone yes <laughs> all right well should we uh get into some obituaries <gasps> Yes, I'm excited about mine. Who you got? Okay, I want to show you a picture first. Fucking love her. Okay, her name is Sally, also known as Disco Sally. (laughs) Disco Sally! Okay, so we're going to learn a little bit about her through her obituary from Guest of a Guest. It says, born in 1900, Sally Lippman earned her Disco Sally moniker through the crazy dance moves she brought to Studio 54 during her widowhood. Ugh. The grand matriarch of nightlife, known for her wild dancing even at an advanced age, was the ultimate club kid. She reinvented the cougar and brought Studio 54 to its (sighs) knees. Obsessed. I love her. Before becoming a web meme or blogalite got you famous, Disco Sally relied on her rug cutting to become a notorious and beloved fixture in Manhattan nightlife. As New York Magazine reported in 1991, a tiny 77-year-old lawyer named Sally Lippman was mourning the death of her husband when she happened upon the disco scene and changed her life. Mm. Dressed in tight pants and high-top sneakers, she became Disco Sally a star of Studio 54 and Xenon, who'd draw an audience of adoring fans as she got down on the dance floor. Apparently, celebs like Dustin Hoffman and Bill Murray queued up to be her dance partner. Rad, Sally, rad! As Scott Bitterman, a former busboy and then assistant manager at Studio 54, recalls, my favorite regular at the club was a bright, funny, elderly woman who came several nights a week and danced much of the night. I attended several dinner parties at her apartment with friends, but the film, 54, reduced her to an insipid caricature as Disco Dottie. In real life, Disco Sally was Sally, a witty and brilliant attorney, admitted to the New York State Bar in the 1920s. Sally represented the best of the club for me. 
She was neither rich nor famous. She was a woman who loved to dance and have fun with her friends in the evening. In the movie, 70s Fever, live footage inside Studio 54 depicts this old lady who liked to get freaky along with the scene's major players like Studio 54 doorman Mark Benecki and club co-owner Steve Rebell. Disco Sally became so famous that an eponymous club opened on 56th Street, and in 1979, as the Washington Post reported, she would be going to Hollywood to make a movie about her life called Disco Sally. (laughs) There were talks of selling the screen rights to her life story. Sally died, though, in May of 1982 in Mount Sinai Hospital, and despite repeated requests, no one played disco at her funeral. Aww. I know. God, love Love her. We'll God, play a little love her. disco for you, Sally. We totally will. And I mean, such an accomplished woman. She was admitted into the New York State Bar. In the 20s? In the 20s. And then lost her husband, became a widow, and said, I'm going to go dance. And I will post some of these incredible pictures of her just fucking dancing her tail off at Cut Studio in a rug. 54. Love it. Love her. Well, we're going to talk about what happens when Harry met Sally. Oh. <gasps> That's my transition. Harry? I have Harry. Oh my God. You're like the king of transitions. (laughs) As Mr. Harry Hicks Arnold, 83, was walking up the stairs of his home in Salcott Crescent, New Addington, he had a quote unquote giddy spell. This is from 1955. (laughs) And slipped down the stairs. Oh no. His wife ran down and found him lying on the floor. He died shortly afterwards. At the inquest held in Croydon on Monday, Mrs. Arnold told the coroner that her husband had been in bed for a few days following a previous fall. On Wednesday of last week, he said that he wanted to get up and asked her to get him some hot water so he could shave. He was following me up the stairs to the bathroom when I heard a thud. I looked down and saw him lying at the bottom of the stairs. He was dying, she said. (gasps) The coroner recorded a verdict of death by misadventure. (gasps) Death by misadventure. Death by misadventure, babe. And a good old blunt 1950s, just here you go. Just straightforward, here are the facts. You ask me, she pushed him. <gasps> uh-huh. You know, I'm watching that Alec Murdoch thing. Oh, are you? And the housekeeper. Whatever, we won't get into it, but there was a housekeeper they had in 2018 who died. She fell down the stairs and they said, oh, the dogs pushed her. The dogs jumped up and pushed her. Oh, my God. Please. Well, I could see that happening at your house. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing I don't have stairs. Well. Well. We've spun in our coffins. We've bitched our obituaries. I guess that means it's time for some dumb. Ass criminals. criminals. Who you got? All righty. I have a dumb criminal from Florida. What? Oh my God. MiamiNewsTimes.com reported this saying, tacos are not recognized as legal forms of identification in the state of Florida. Matthew Faulkner found out the hard way after he passed out drunk in the drive-thru of a Jensen Beach Taco Bell and his car caught on fire. (laughs) God. The incident occurred in the early morning of October 1st in Jensen Beach. Faulkner, 30, had apparently decided to make a run for a fourth meal after drowning some beers, and he somehow made it all the way to the fast food joint in his Chevy pickup, placed his order, and received his taco before falling asleep. So you're fucking driving drunk, you go to Taco Bell, you fall asleep, and then it says, the Taco Bell manager had to call police because Faulkner was out cold at the pickup window and holding up customers. 
customers behind him. <laughs> Clearly, this was not a victimless crime, and our hearts go out to the hungry folks who had to wait so long for their late-night munchies. A deputy awoke Faulkner and then asked for his ID, and Faulkner said no before reaching into his bag and presenting the officer with a taco. <laughs> he said, hey, you go. <laughs> Identify this. Another deputy clarified they were asking for an ID, not a taco. Faulkner chuckled and began eating the taco. Then, deputies noticed Faulkner had fallen asleep with his foot on the accelerator while his truck was in park. The engine had caught fire and fire extinguishers were used to put it out. And his blood alcohol level was between 0.227 and 0.225. Fuck. Can you imagine? First of all, you drove drunk to Taco Bell. He was intoxicated. He was intoxicated. <laughs> I love it. Your car catches on fire. Yeah, ha- just chaos. Oh my God. Who do you got for me? <laughs> this is three sentences, but it's the fucking best thing I've ever read in my life. Hot story fails to convince judge. Memphis, Tennessee, Gertrude Dorman, 36, emphatically denied Tuesday that she set the bed on fire in her hotel room. (laughs) It was on fire when I got in bed, she testified. The judge fined her $51 for smoking in bed. Police said she had also been drinking. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Her fucking bed's on fire. She's like, it was on fire already. Yeah, it's already like that. (laughs) Sorry. Oh my my God. God. Well, we've got a bunch of packages. We sure do. We're talking lots. 20 packages. Should we pick two? Yeah, like we each open one? Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder what's in them. (laughs) Okay, you guys, we realized, okay, I feel like we have a lot of packages. Well, hold on. Don't speak too soon. What is this? (gasps) No fucking way. What? Oh my God, I'm so excited. Hold on. What? Oh my God, I'm so excited. You know, I fucking love Vermont. Uh Uh-huh. We just got this. It says, Spencer, Madison, and Furry Friends. I'm a mom of a Spencer, a Vermonter, a therapist, and a cancer survivor. <gasps> oh, we love it. Really? A badass GL. I know. Well, we don't. Yeah. You know what we mean. And I am crazy about you too. I love how you normalize talking about death and find all the history and stories hilarious and fascinating. Here are some yummy Vermont treats. <gasps> Two grades of syrup for you to sample. Oh my God. We like it. The darker, the better. So much love to you. Hope to see you on your next trip to Vermont. Stacy and family on the cutest little (gasps) postcard. Oh my God. I love a postcard. And look at this fucking adorable family. Let me see. (gasps) Their Christmas card. Oh my gosh. How cute. Okay. We got Vermont candy and Vermont maple Syrup. Hand and, me the candy. And I, no. Is that a moose? Yeah. There's oh a moose. Oh my God. And then a state of Vermont with a little maple leaf. And I so love sweet. maple syrup anything flavor. Like Trader Joe's has these maple syrup cookies and I die for them. So <gasps> fucking sweet. There's little treats for the pups. Oh and, my God. Oh my God. Stacy made my day. I fucking I love it. And Thank you, Stacy. I know. I was like secretly hoping that when they put together the tour that we'd go to Vermont. Uh-huh. But we didn't. But I definitely want to go back next fall again. I want to go too. So pretty. You want to open one? Yes. I'm like opening the syrup. I'm like, I want to smell it. <laughs> okay. What does it say? Oh, no. <laughs> 
got a gavel. No. From Trinka. <laughs> oh. oh my God. Not. Look at this. You guys. Wait. <laughs> they wrote, yes, activist. <laughs> we got another gavel. Oh. Oh my God. You guys, here's the thing. We have a lot of unopened packages in the office right now. We don't know how many gavels. We don't know how many gavels we got. We didn't think at all, actually. We just didn't realize that so many people would actually send them. Because when we put out the episode saying no one has sent one yet, that came out, (laughs) we realized, like, like, before we had even told anyone. And so we are slowly but surely we have a lot of gavels so we are so appreciative we are building a collection oh my god now it's like what am you know what i want to do i want to put like floating shelves on the wall uh-huh. and just put all the gavels out like they're awards i love it <laughs> i love it like i could use that museum glue uh-huh. to like stage it yeah absolutely um, we'll open up more packages next week and honestly i'm here for the gavels i love getting the gavels And you can never have enough. You can never have enough justice. But if you want to send us a gavel, send it to Spencer Henry and Madison Reyes, P.O. Box 18149, Long Beach, California, 90807. Oh my God. The post office is probably like, what the fuck? Not us starting a courthouse. That's our new like thing. A courthouse slash mortuary. We only judge the dead. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. We bring that back like Pope Formosus. Yeah. Oh, my God. You so guys. If you're mad at anyone who's died, please, please. let us know because we will put them on trial. <laughs> you know what? The Mormons can have their posthumous blessing. Their baptism, baptism. by proxy. We're going to have posthumous judgment day <laughs> yeah trials court trials <laughs> i love it i love you guys so oh my god much. we love you so much and and thank you like thank literally you. we know you took the time out of your day and, and spent the money. money sending us gavels it was like a joke that i feel like has now started to get out of control and we love you we love you guys so much please come see <laughs> how us. do we segue that yeah how do we segue out of this if you, you want to come see these gavels in person come see us live on the road obituarypodcast.com for tickets you can follow along on twitter and instagram at obituary pod you can see us on tiktok at obituary podcast you can write to us at obitpod at gmail.com and that's it we'll be back next week with some more gavels some more gavels coffin some more, spinners some more obituaries and some dumb ass criminals, criminals. court is adjourned Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Obituary early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen early and ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Alex Ryder is back. Hello, Alex. We have a lot of work to do. To face his greatest challenge yet. We have an active threat. They can wipe out an entire city. People are going to die. Now he's running out of time. We have three days to find and destroy. He doesn't know who he can trust. You're not your enemies. You never have been. Everything I've been told has been lies. 
and our future is in his hands. The truth can be complicated. On April 5th, this weapon is capable of inflicting 100,000 deaths in a heartbeat. The danger is everywhere. Scorpio are no longer hiding in the shadows. The battle threatens everyone. It's personal. It's revenge. It's kill or be killed. That's when you find out what you're really capable of. And his choice could change everything. I'm sick of being manipulated to do what everyone else wants. Tell him the truth, all of it. The world isn't black and white. All we really have are the people we trust. Alex Ryder, season three, streaming free April 5th. Stream seasons one and two free now.